This is Driven by Data, the podcast. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast, brought to you by Orbition Group and hosted by me, Kyle Winterbottom. Orbition Group is delighted to bring this podcast series, which boasts some of the most high-profile data, analytics, and AI thought leaders from across the globe. Each episode details the journey to the top of our industry's most respected leadership figures, while bringing unique insights drawn from first-hand experience on the industry's most trending topics, told in order to share knowledge, experiences, and ideas to inspire, innovate, and give back to the global data and analytics community. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast. Um, today, I'm delighted to be joined by Caroline Carruthers, who is the CEO of Carruthers & Jackson, um, an author, uh, the founder of the CDO Summer School, which everyone in the world seems to be a part of. Um, so absolute delight to have you, Caroline. Thank you very much for joining us. No, thank you very much for inviting me on. I'm really looking forward to it. Good, good. Um, so look, where we always start is we ask everyone to kind of give us a brief introduction into their background and, and journey to date. Um, so if, if you wouldn't mind. No problem in the slightest. Uh, so I guess, long story short, started off with technology. Um, so I've been a CTO and I've been a CIO and I've been a CEO and a CEO. So I think I'm just collecting <laughs> cheap titles now for the sake of um, but my background very much started from that technology side, programming on my Commodore 64 as a teenager. That's where my um, kind of geekiness started. And more and more through my career, I realized that actually the problems that I was trying to fix, the core of the problem was the data, not the technology. And that's why I sort of got more involved with the data side. And that's where it really piqued my interest, because I guess I, I describe myself a lot as a problem solver. So I might as well use the core components. And uh, that's where it kind of all started from for me. So graduated into the chief data officer role through that problem solver route. And uh, Peter and I met, decided to write the chief data officer's playbook because there was nothing for chief data officers at the time. It was a bit like the Wild West for us all out there. <laughs> um, and, and it kind of all went from there, really. Right. Very good. It's It fascinates me because I think when I look around the industry, a lot of people in leadership roles within data often don't come from a technology background mm. for, the, for the most part. You know, I'd say kind of seven, eight times out of 10, they've come from marketing or finance or some other avenue. So interesting to hear that one of the big hitters in our in our space um, came from from that route. So um, so there you go. But okay, so give us a bit of a, an insight into Carruthers and Jackson and the business, you know, and, and I guess, why did you decide that now was the time having worked in industry, you know, with very big, big roles? us it was really we had a lot of organizations asking us for help so a lot of organizations because of the books and because we try and put things in a very business orientated language to make it simple for people to understand this um and the more people that came to ask us for help we genuinely wanted to help but we couldn't do that and both of us still do big roles in industry so we honestly we flipped a coin so we flipped a coin <laughs> i won i got to lead carillas and jackson where peter stays in industry and, um, and that's how it actually started. And uh, it's all about helping improve data maturity, helping organizations on their data transformation journeys, doing the stuff and making it tangible that we talk about in the books. And uh, it's a lot of fun. I love doing what I do. Good, good. How did Peter feel about losing? 
it was a really fun. He loves what he does. He <laughs> yeah. absolutely adores what he does. Peter doesn't like losing at anything. <laughs> so, <laughs> but uh, I think we've actually both settled into the right roles for us. Yeah, good. Really kind of curious. Obviously, I know that when we've spoke off air, you've kind of you mentioned about the books and, mm-hmm. you know, that the first book was around educating chief data officers and the second book came along because you felt like it needed to be for executives because you were preaching to the choir or the converted almost. Where does the summer school fit into to all of this? Was this just another avenue where you were having people at the, you know, uh, a more junior level, shall we say, coming to you asking for advice and support? It, it was a lot of people do ask us for support and um, it was a way of reaching a lot of people. A big part of what I want to do is it's around community, it's around sharing. I think it's not very often in your career you kind of hit that point where you have this sense of community. And I really wanted to help drive that and be part of it. And, and you know, the data community is a fantastic place to be. I think that, you know, there are some wonderful individuals out there and we're all trying to do the right thing. We're all trying to broaden the knowledge. If I'm absolutely honest, I don't think any one person has got this data problem yet because it's just too big mm-hmm. so if we're actually going to solve all those wicked problems out there we're going to have to do it together yep. so the chief data officers summer school came about as a result of being able to share that knowledge but also connect the communities because it's not just about learning from peter and myself it's about learning from each other yeah yeah absolutely i think it's really important i mean what i find really interesting is this the data and analytics community it seems to be this global thing that everyone's plugged into the same kind of mission, um, which, you know, uh, not that I've worked across many other sectors in my time, but from what I hear, you know, there's always these other meetups, you know, technology focused, but they seem to be quite regional. Whereas for whatever reason, the whole data thing, I guess, because everyone's experiencing the same type of problems, everyone's open to, to learning wherever they're based in the world, which is obviously a really good thing. And hence why, you know, I do the podcasts and the events because it's a, uh, a platform to be able to, you know, give you a voice to and maybe an even wider audience than the summer school allows you to do, for for example. So, okay, really excited to kind of jump into this and obviously, you know, a, a topic that's very close to your heart around data transformation. So I guess, a yeah, a little bit, um, really keen to kind of hear your mm-hmm. version of, of what that means in, in an industry that obviously is full of buzzwords. So w- what is data transformation in, in your eyes? So I guess if we address the buzzwords for a second, because I do think, and I'm really pleased that you picked up on it, because it's really easy in data to frighten the living bejesus out of business people. (laughs) But it really is. You know, when we start talking about machine learning and AI, I've seen, you know, some really senior executives start to look like you're talking gobbledygook because they just don't get it. And, you know, the more we can get rid of the buzzwords, at the end of the day, data is the building blocks. It's, It's simple. And, you know, at a very simple level, it's a single piece of data, you know, 47 red. It's what we do with it. And we're only going to be able to do really interesting things with it by working with the business. And they're not going to want to work with us if we're scaring the living bejesus out of them. Yeah. So hence, get rid of the buzzwords. But sorry, that was one of my little hobby horses. Um, but on the, 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 the meaning for me of data transformation, you know, data is an asset. Data is an asset in the same way that a building is an asset or a person can be an asset. And we need to treat it like that. And we haven't been. Um, you know, it's not even that we don't value the wood for the trees. We just don't even see the wood anymore because it's just mm-hmm. all around us. Yeah. 
So it's actually how do we stop and think about treating it like an asset and using it and understanding the risks that come as a result of that and actually the opportunities and the benefits that could. So it's, I guess, in a really simple way of talking about it, it's how does an organisation recognise that and make the necessary changes to leverage it? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that, that makes that makes sense. I love the I love the analogy um, and around, you know, can't say the wood for the trees, but now we've stopped even, even seeing the wood. Yeah. Why is that? What are the kind of key pitfalls that you see most organisations making when it comes to data transformation? I think the simplest one is um, they're not curious enough. So, you know, the, the very simple things that we often find is that people have stopped asking why. And, you know, that I know that that encompasses more than just data, but it, it, data really does need to know why are you doing that? Why do you want this report from me? Why is that dashboard important? If you get that, what decision are you going to make on the back of it? Because then I can better help you understand what to do with it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, you know, do you actually understand what I'm giving you and what would help you be able to do your role better? Mm-hmm. It's all those kind of basic things that I think that we need to look at when it comes to data and organisations. Yeah. And obviously you mentioned earlier about data being an asset, just as a person is an asset or a business is an asset. It's about, I guess, how you go about using that to make it advantageous for you, right? To, to deliver value because it's, it's, I guess... If you think about it, if you hired a bunch of people, so if you hired a bunch of people, you wouldn't say to them going, do you know what? I don't really know what I want to do with you yet, but it was a good idea to hire you. So could you just go and sit in that building and twiddle your thumbs and play Candy Crush? Yeah. Like, you would never have <laughs> a million years do that. That would be ludicrous. Yeah. But that's what we do. It's like, you know, we could just collect it and then we'll have a think about it afterwards. Oh, what is the purpose? What are you actually trying to achieve? Hmm. How much of this for you, Caroline, ties into, you know, because we have become this industry that everyone is focusing on and talking about. And as I said, it's now littered with all these buzzwords and, and lingo and jargon that, you know, as you mentioned, frightens business people to, to death. How much of this has become, I guess, an obligation for businesses? You know, they feel like they have to be doing this, but they don't know what to do per se or they don't really know why they're doing it but they know that the competitors doing it or the business across the road does it so it's a case of probably falls into that trap right well the starting point is collecting the data so let's just collect it and we'll kind of figure the rest out as we go and as you rightly say that that seldomly works it's funny if that's a large part of what we do is work with businesses at that point yeah so the amount of conversations that i have (laughs) i get everybody else is doing this data thing but we don't really get it. So what do we do? It's that first step seems to be the real hard step for a lot of organizations. Mm. And I put it in the way I put it across to organizations now is all I do is come in and help you with your pirates map. So I help you understand where you are now, where it is you're trying to get to and how do you get from there to there in steps that actually create value at each step. And, you know, the value words, another thing that I don't think we spend enough time talking about those of us who have been in IT for a long time, I'm not casting aspersions to any of your listeners, but in the 80s, you know, there was a lot of big IT-driven projects and people were really proud about how much they were spending on IT. And, you know, we were talking millions and millions, but we didn't think about what value we were getting from it. And, you know, we did have projects, that programs that went on for three, four years and didn't deliver anything until the fourth year. Well, that's ridiculous. That's not the world we live in. You know, we, our attention span is so short now yeah. that if we don't get something within minutes, we wonder what's going on. Yeah. And we need to think about that from the data world. So when we're doing things, 
we do need to think about, well, yes, I want to make sure that it's not risky, but I also want to drive value from this as well. So why should we make, change our behaviour? Why should we do something differently? What values it's going to drive? And that's why on that pirate's map, each one of those steps has to actually create value for the business. So you're kind of, I guess, getting these executives to think about the direction they want the business to go in and how the data then becomes an asset to kind of help them achieve that. Exactly. And when, when you talk, you know, we talk a lot about data strategy. I know that you've spoke about data strategy before. But for me, the really fundamental part of a data strategy is to has to be hand in hand with a business strategy. Unless you're Google, you're not there just to be a data company. Yeah. You know, it's the business strategy. You have a, an outcome that you're trying to drive as a business. How is data going to help you do that? That's all the strategy should be helping mm-hmm. you with. Absolutely. And that's kind of the description of the, the roadmap. Yeah. Do you see then when you're in with these businesses who are at that kind of earlier stage of we've got this data, we know we should be doing more, we're not too sure what or how, do you find that they tend to kind of lean towards focusing on what they're doing with the data as opposed to how the data helps them get to that business goal? You you do have to take a few steps back. So it is almost that the maturity exercise, the data maturity exercise we do, which is that X at the beginning of the map, it's about holding a mirror up and going, this is where you are because that's a really important step for a lot of organizations. And it's like, we will take you on this journey and we'll step you through it and we'll make it real and pragmatic and we'll make you believe you can do it, which they can, but you need to understand where you're starting from. Yeah. And I also think there's a little bit of the, the Empress New Clause going on in data at the moment. Absolutely. So, you know, the amount of organizations that go, we know everybody else is doing really well with data. Really? How do you know that? Simply, you know, everybody thinks everybody else has got it right. You know, the more organizations I, that I work with, some of them are doing some absolutely brilliant things, which is fantastic, but I'm finding it's pockets. So I've not honestly seen one organization yet that is fantastic across the board because understandably, organizations have lots of competing priorities to have to deal with. So things slip down the rank. Yeah, it's, I guess that's ironic. And I'm kind of smiling there because I think naturally given my line of work, I speak to, you know, hundreds of businesses a year, probably as, as do you now in kind of your line of work. But I guess um, it, it is funny when, you know, you look at a business and you've got this big brand and you always, you know, from the outside looking in, you're thinking, oh, I, bet, I bet they've got that cracked. You know, I bet that's as slick as anything in there. And then you speak to people and it's just the complete opposite. And it's all over the shop, which, you know, I always find I always find really interesting because you think there's these big businesses that have got so much money, so much resource, yet they even they can't figure out how to get this right so you know like you said it's a case of a a people talk a good game um i I think and dress it up to be something it's not i guess one thing that really fascinates me that i'd love your opinion on is the whole concept of value and you know this has just been peddled and peddled and peddled now to the point where my opinion is that's what people are starting to look at which is a great thing you know what we what we're doing with this needs to drive value but I almost feel sometimes that that causes more harm than good in the sense of, you know, you get these businesses that are at the start of that journey and they, they, you know, they're trying to go from zero to a hundred without any foundations in place, you know, so they go straight to, well, 
I hear that they're doing really well with AI, you know, so, right, we're going to do an AI project and, you know, they don't even, they don't even know where the data is. They, don't, you know, they can't access their own data. So, you know, and, and that's, that stuff fascinates me. How, how do you kind of combat that? Is that merely just, again, a top level conversation with like, right, look, you know, let's, let's pull this back a little bit. Well, that, that's why we, you know, we have to go, this is a mirror of where you really are. And I yeah. get that this stuff looks really sexy, but trust me, it's just not quite there yet. Better, yeah. But what you shouldn't do is wait till you get all your foundations in place, because I've seen that the opposite end of the scale is, right. you know what, we're going to make our data quality 100% and trust everything. I'll be like boiling the ocean. Good luck to you, because yeah. that's never going to happen. Yeah. So, you know, that's the other side of the whole, you know, people either want to get it all the foundations correct, and then we'll do something useful. Or they want to go to the really sexy stuff over here and they're dancing on houses of cards if you jump straight here without getting any of this. And it really is all about balance. And I use the word balance probably about as much as I use the word value. Um, and there's all, the other side of it is to understand what you mean by value, because value doesn't have to be that you're selling your data and making money off it. Value could be that actually you're making better decisions because you're getting the right data and just the right data to help make that decision. It could be that rather than 40 poor people having to slog through a spreadsheet to create a report for the board on a monthly basis, which I have seen happen, you know, they can all be redeployed to do something far more interesting because you've now done something that you click a button and you get the same result. Different ways of driving value for a business. Yeah. On, on that topic then, how, in your opinion, and, and I guess this, you know, would be a sweeping generalization and possibly hard to answer, but what what does value often look like for for most businesses because i guess you know you often hear around you know businesses they're trying to increase sales revenue profit they're trying to cut costs or they're trying to improve operational efficiencies they're kind of the three things that we hear often about and now we've got this whole data monetization piece that everyone's talking about packaging yeah. your data and being able to sell it and, and all that type of great stuff but as you said there sometimes it can be as simple as can this allow me to make a better decision? Which I guess in a roundabout way could mean that that ends up leading you to making better decisions on cost savings or, you know, increased sales or whatever the case may be. But where's the starting point for all of that to kind of get that right? We do these things called vertical strikes, but basically what it is, is you identify a problem and you solve the problem. Okay. So rather than, you know, the two ends of the spectrum that I talked about, which is you fix all the foundations or you just do the sexy stuff. The idea behind the vertical strike is you find the problem and then what you do is you fix enough of the foundations to solve that problem. And it's the solution to the problem, which is the value that goes back into the business. Mm. Often the first kind of ones um, during the sort of maturity exercise, we hear a lot of the pain points. It actually feels a little bit like therapy for organisations sometimes <laughs> when they get out some of these things that they've been dealing with for so long. Um, but, you know, you listened to them during that exercise and that's where a lot of the early vertical strikes come from that's where a lot of the initial problems because organizations don't realize how long they've been living with some of these problems that people put up with or you know we know that this database doesn't give us what we need so we pull it out we tweak it and then we put it back in no you know any data professional should be screaming inside when they hear those that kind of language yeah. and by solving some of those things you don't realize some of the knock-on effects that you can have an impact with an organization that's identifying those kind of boiling the frog problems I'd probably call them because they've just lived with them for so long. They don't realize the problems anymore. Mm. That's really interesting because I think, as I said, we, we get to this point now where we're talking about value and almost trying to align data with the business objectives. And and that's absolutely right. But obviously, mm. you're saying there, start with this. Let, let's fix the problems. Let's show you how you can fix problems with data. And then, you know, naturally, that'll allow you to get to that point 
anyway. Any, any kind of transformation is a journey. You know, you don't transform in months. That you know, if you could, then it was not really transformation. You're not yeah. making some kind of evolutionary leap there, are you? Yeah. Whereas any journey you need to take people on in a large part of the hearts and minds battle that we talk about so much is being able to demonstrate what's in it for them. And if you can solve problems for them, then it makes a big difference to be able to bring the next them along on that journey. It's really, really, really fascinating. So I guess in terms of the really important steps, and I know um, you were kind enough to share your kind of framework and, and, and model w- with, with me in terms of how you kind of uh, approach this. How, how do you break that down into the kind of key components of what successful data transformation looks like? So what we've done in the model um, is, and it comes from many, many years of doing this, and we, we pulled a lot of research in from a lot of chief data officers, a lot of friends. Thank you all very much. We really <laughs> um, but at its simplest level, there's four components. Each one of those four components are broken down into another three. Okay. But at its simplest level, the four components are about purpose, people, method, and tools. So we always start with purpose. You have to start with purpose. There is no point in doing things if you don't know why we're doing them, what we're going to get from it. And under purpose, we cover things like strategy, but also risk, because you need to know, you know, as a uh, motor, motor biker, you know, the whole idea of the lifesaver is what I think about is risk. It's that little look over your shoulder just before you pull out to make sure nothing's yeah. coming behind to bite you. So your focus should be going forward on the strategy, but you do need to have that occasional, what's going to come and hit me and what do I need to prepare for just in case? Um and then we think about people. We always hear the phrase data driving the digital agenda, which is fantastic, and I do believe it does. But people drive the data agenda, and we are not spending enough time on the people side of data. You know, we're still talking about data literacy in, you know, in a way that it's about technology, and it's not. It's about the ability to read the data and argue with it. You know, does that look right? Does it not look right? Actually. You know, how, how can I make decisions on the back of that? That whole piece around data literacy is a quite fundamental life skill now. It's not just for business, it's for everybody. Mm. If you're using social media, if you're searching a search engine, you're using data. So it's a basic skill to have. You know, um, what's the culture? What's the behavior within organizations? All of that has a massive impact. You know, if you see your chief executive in an organization, for instance, actually tangibly using data to make decisions, that sets such a right tone for the rest of the organization. You know, organizations that are in a state of do as I say, not as I do, tend very rarely to make the right kind of cultural changes. So that, that's a big part of the model for me. Um, and then we move around to the whole idea of the framework. So the operating model, how do you really make decisions across data? How do you not get into the situation where a butterfly over here causes a tornado over there? <laughs> You know, yep. and think about your organization holistically rather than just in silos, which is, you know, kind of a tribal thing as human beings we like to link into. And then finally, that's when we talk about the tools. Then we move on to the technology. And it's not that I don't think the technology is important. You know, being a geek myself, technology is really important. I'm a big fan of it. But we've assumed the data set with technology far too long. And, you know, as I've just described, there's all those other elements to getting there's what you want from your data it's not just the technology. So in a lot of ways, um, in talking to a lot of CIOs, because I can speak their language as well, it's about helping them understand that we're not taking anything from you. We're actually trying to lighten your load. You've had this kind of steaming potato 
for a long time and actually that potato shouldn't sit with you it should sit over here and you've got a lot of other potatoes to deal with so can you look after them please yeah i'm really glad that you kind of outlined that around the technology piece being important but there's a whole host of things that come before it because i think that's one of the biggest pet peeves of of mine obviously in my line of work I, i spend a lot of my time educating people on how they should be advertising for roles and and kind of how that job spec should potentially look because I think we're really guilty as as an industry you know as organizations within within this industry of just focusing on the tech and obviously there's so much more to it as you said Mm -hmm. um that what you know in in whatever case or whatever example you you want to look at you know data scientists can build the best models in the world but if it's not going in the same direction of the business or it's not usable who cares right if, so the, the, there's not a purpose behind it if it's yeah. not going to make a difference it's not really helping anybody yeah absolutely which um which i'm, I'm glad I've, I've kind of feel like i've got a seal of approval now for, for my rants on, <laughs> on linkedin over, over the last few months um so i guess in terms of the model then because obviously mm-hmm. there's a whole host of organizations out there kind of doing this in some way shape or form obviously mm-hmm. you know you and Peter have become the, the benchmark, let, let's say, for this type of, of, of conversation within organizations. How, in your opinion, how does your model differ to, to you know some of the competition, if you want to call it that? One of the reasons that we even bothered creating the model, um, because I'm not knocking any of the other models out there and, you know, aware of them, and I'm not, not going to name names that would feel wrong. Um, but the vast majority, when I was a working chief data officer that I looked at, was so focused on the technology or just on the governance. So in our model, we, you know, we start with the whole purpose, people, method, and tools. And I would have to say that the stuff around tools and method, you know, they were covered in shape and forms by other models, but we really struggled to find anything that covered the purpose and the people. And of the models that were out there, a lot of them were in technical language. And what we wanted to do is actually convey something to, to the rest of the business that made sense to them. So that's that what I would say is the key differentiator is that it's that focus on not just the IT and the governance, but more holistically across an organization, but also in a language that we hope is very accessible and that everybody can understand. Yeah, I think I think that's massively important, especially, you know, we hear the term buy-in several times a day now, right? In terms mm-hmm. of you know, your your data and analytics plan and strategy is going to be as successful as the amount of buy-in that you get from from those executives so i think that's it's hugely important that you know we're able to translate that and tell those stories in as you said in in, in language that they they kind of get and, and understand so jumping into the people aspect of it then because i know when we've spoken previously you've kind of said you know people and literacy they're kind of two key components that in your opinion are absolutely vital to, to getting this right what what's the key role that that people play and, and and what's the what's the kind of overarching importance of, of that so i mean we've touched upon you know how fundamental i think people are to this and, and you know they should be creating the data and making decisions on the back of it but i think as well as the data literacy i think there's an element of curiosity that we need to start and focus on as well so for me data literacy is really simple i like the mit's version of definition of data literacy which is, is really quite simple and i'm sure someone will look it up after i say that and tell me i haven't quite got it right but it's the ability to um, create use argue with and make decisions on the back of data and, you know that doesn't seem like an unreasonable set of no. skills to have 
On top of that, I also think we need this curiosity around data. Um, I was talking to a senior director recently who told me that there was a report that they got every Monday was absolutely fundamental to what they did. And after six months of getting it, they were in a lift and the person next to them went, oh, I prepared that report for you. And she went, oh, brilliant. That's fantastic. And they went, yeah, why do you need it? (laughs) Why hadn't they asked that six months ago? Because you never know. She could have been getting a better report. She could have been getting it on a more timely basis. You know what I mean? There's a level of curiosity there. Don't just put two Lego blocks together and go, look, there you go. I've put two Lego blocks together. Why do you want those Lego blocks? What's going to make a difference to you? Do you want to go that way? Do you want to go that way? Actually, I can't improve that right now, but I can start and build something that gradually I'll collect the data for that can improve it. And only by having that level of curiosity, see, for my mind, I don't want 10 data scientists sitting in an ivory tower doing incredible things. I want the whole business marching to the beat of the same drum and being curious and focusing on this and going, well, why are we doing that? Because I think that's where the real power comes from. I mean, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. I think my question, Caroline, would be, how do you get to that point? Because I think what I see in a lot of organizations is, especially ones that aren't advanced on this journey and their data literacy as a business is is maybe fairly average or, or low. I feel it's a case of that's not my job. You know, we, we've hired these data scientists and that's enough type of thing. And we all know that's not the case, but I guess that's that's probably why they're not getting, you know, getting towards their goals as, as fast as they they need to be. How, how do you kind of break down those those barriers? I think um you know the whole engagement and hearts and minds piece, we could probably spend a whole other <laughs> yeah. talking about this. Um, but to, to put it succinctly, it's, you know, it is a hearts and minds battle. So people aren't working in a particular way because they're trying to be obstinate. They're doing it because they genuinely think they're doing a good job. I don't think I've ever met anybody who deliberately got up to do a bad job. I'm <laughs> sure if you looked hard enough, you might find one, but I've never come across one yet. So they genuinely think they're doing the right thing. And, you know, they're sitting in their comfort zone because they know that works. And what you're trying to do, if you want them to change their behavior, is get them to move from that comfort zone into another one. So you have to have a really good reason. And I used the phrase earlier on, what's in it for them? And it's a really powerful phrase that we don't spend enough time thinking about it. So it's not what's in it for their department. It's not what's in it for their business. It's what's in it for them. So you need to break it down into you're not treating people like a you know a humongous group. It's like this set of individuals, actually, they share characteristics and this is what they care about. So how can we demonstrate to them that making a modification in their behaviour or making a decision in a different way or using a different report or being curious and actually, you know, filling the form incorrectly, not just taking the top of the drop-down box. It's worthwhile for them. You know, so there's a level of education, engagement and effort. But I have to say the whole watchword when it comes to this is perseverance. It, it isn't something you do once and then run off to the hills and go, it's fixed now. This is something that consistent and simple messaging probably makes the biggest difference with. Yeah. So it sounds like a lot of what you're talking about from a people perspective is... Mm-hmm. The curiosity, almost like a childlike approach of why, 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 why? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Like the seagulls from finding <laughs> Yeah. And then on the other side, the whole communication, education, kind of, you know, user and stakeholder engagement and, you know, being able to, to pull all of that together. And, and again, that's something that I'm constantly kind of banging the drum about in terms of, you know, who don't, cares don't whether they use. Get it. Yeah. Yeah. 
I was just going to say, like, who cares whether you can use Power BI or Tableau or AWS or GCP? Like, that, that's the stuff that actually makes the difference, you know, that the curiosity to provide a better report that makes better decisions or to get that buy-in and, and that kind of engagement to do a better job on, you know, move, move the needle. And, and I kind of I feel like, obviously... I record multiple episodes of this podcast every week and it, it almost seems to me like regardless of the topic, everything comes back to that, you know, mm-hmm. trying to move that needle of creating more more buying, getting people from the business to actually understand the reason that we're doing this and it's not just, you know, something that oh, we've, you know, we've got this team that do this and that's their job type of thing. Which, yeah, um, and, it, and it's helping. And also, you know, if you use the um, example, for instance, of, you know, people who fill forms in and to do not underestimate that frontline staff who do that kind of thing because mm-hmm. they can have a massive knock impact on ev- knock on impact on everything else you're doing. But if, for instance, they are being um, judged on how fast they fill that form in, they will hit the top of the drop down box. I would. You're not ask- asking me for accuracy. You're not asking me for the quality of the data there. You're asking me for how fast I can do something. I can fill it in fast. <laughs> There you go. Yeah. I've just hit the top of every single drop down. That doesn't help the process. So sometimes you need to look at things that organizations are doing that are driving the wrong kind of behaviors. And by fixing them, you may have made somebody's life a bit easier. And also don't assume that everybody gets it. That basic level of education around data, it's really important. And if you go back to that whole fear factor that we talked about at the beginning, you know, people are almost frightened to admit they don't understand this because it's so pervasive, the kind of things that we talk about. People don't want to admit they don't know. So Mm -hmm. sometimes taking a few steps going, I'm sure you get this, but I'm just going to go back to basics and, you know, start again. That can be a really powerful, very simple way of engaging people. I find that that kind of whole piece there around... I guess what, what what you're talking about is I think when, when the data industry thinks of people, they yeah. think of the people that work within data. And obviously, you know, yes, you need more than the tech skills and all this type of stuff is going to help you do your job. But obviously what you're starting to creep into there is actually the people in the business and how they use that data to make your life easier, okay. which, you know, we're kind of trudging into the, the whole data literacy piece of not necessarily the people who work in data, but the wider business. So mm-hmm. from a from a literacy standpoint then, I guess in terms of your experience, how how do you see that that work best? Because I understand the concept and I understand the benefits. Um, and I'm sure everyone's always striving for greatness in this type of stuff. But you know, the whole hearts and minds piece has become this whole big topic of mm-hmm. of, of change, right? How, how do you actually move the needle and get get that kind of to, to, to work effectively? The simplest way I've always found is to start with a small group and make a difference to them. And if you can convey the message and turn them into your data cheerleaders, people always listen to messages more from people like them. So if you can get a few data cheerleaders and give them what they need to start and spread the message, they'll turn into a few more data cheerleaders and a few more. I mean, that sounds a bit virus-like, and that's maybe not a good topic to go into <laughs> considering 2020. Yeah. Um, but you know, that's how you spread these messages. That kind of groundswell of enthusiasm is an incredibly powerful thing, but you don't get that simply. You get it by putting an awful lot of effort in and really supporting those data cheerleaders and encouraging them and helping them have everything that they need to get the job done and yeah. praising them when they do. A big part of the whole 
you know, a transformation and engagement journey is we don't often spend enough time going, do you know what? I know we've got a long way to go, but we've also come a long way too. And, you know, congratulations, everybody. And that's a brilliant thing. Stopping and looking back to how far you've come up the mountain is as equally as important as keeping your eye on the ball of where you're trying to get to. Yeah. I think that's a really important message to kind of data leaders and their teams, because I guess it's really easy for them to almost become white noise, right? In a business when they're constantly harping on about the same message. And, and I guess a lot of business users, if, if they're not, if they're not getting on that bandwagon, it's kind of like, here they are again talking about this, you know, so I can completely understand the the power of doing these kind of small little groups that see value and the impact and why that's important to them. And, you know, it's, as you said, it starts to, to, to spread and, and the wheels start to, to turn, which makes, um, which makes complete, complete sense. The, the other thing, sorry, just to add to yeah. that as well, is um, when you get those kind of groups and especially if you're dealing at the board level, or if you get a chance to go and talk to the board, um, nobody sits around a board level. that doesn't have an element of competition in them. I, I, think that's kind of a defining characteristic for someone who's quite senior in organization. If you don't go in and put anybody down, but go in and really praise one department, they worked with us and, oh my God, look at the difference. And this is the Hmm. tangible value we've created. Aren't they amazing? You literally see the rest of the the people sitting around that table bristling slightly going, why do I get the same level of praise? And at that point in time, it's that little level of competition can make some massive strides in engagement with the rest of the business as well. So never underestimate that. A little bit of politics play, but it can work to your advantage. <laughs> a little life hack there. Um, in terms of the, the whole literacy piece from a business standpoint, and I guess this, I hear this debate quite a lot around, you know, you talked about data cheerleaders and some people call them data champions or whatever mm-hmm. whatever other term that, that they want to use. How, in your experience, do you find that it typically works best? Because there's this whole debate around, you know, the the the, the bottom up approach or the top down approach. You know, are you best to go and get the CEO on board so people can say, okay, this is important, and and it spreads that way, or or is it, you know, is it more likely to happen if you get people who are on the front line, so to speak, kind of doing what they need to do? Um, I would love to give you a very straightforward answer to that, but unfortunately, <laughs> I'm going to give you. It depends type answer. Yeah. Um, because it really does depend on the organization and, you know, what shape, size, you know, culture, behavior they have within an organization as to what works. And I'm a little bit, um, I like tackling problems by lots of different angles. Mm-hmm. So I think rather than putting all my eggs in one basket, I like to try a little bit of the top down, a little bit of the bottom up. And if I can come in from the sideways as well, let's do that. As long as you understand the end goal, and that's why I would come again, drag us back to purpose. If you understand the end goal of where you're trying to get to, you should be able to attack it in lots of different ways because everybody knows that I know that I have to go here, but actually what I'm trying to do is here so I can head in that direction and I'm coming from this angle, but I can head in that direction rather than, you know, looking like a bunch of kids on a Sunday playing football with everybody just running around and following the ball and not really getting where you need to be. Yeah, I mean, it's fascinating because I think for me, everything you're kind of outlining as far as transformation goes is is taking kind of small little incremental steps where you can see wins and you can see progress um, irrespective of what part of that model that you're talking about and showing that there's value in it and that kind of then snowballs into something much bigger as opposed to you know 
we're going to go on this data transformation. We'll see you in three years because I guess, you know, by the time you've got to that point, people have lost interest. They fell off the wagon. They've not, you know, the, the, there's no proof behind the pudding, so to speak. Exactly. And it's the whole concept of, you know, the journey of a thousand miles starts with one step. Mm-hmm. Well, it does. But it also starts with a second, third, fourth step. You can't just sit down and then go, oh, there you go. <laughs> my journey. Yeah. It's, you know, and you don't keep walking on the journey without an incentive. So how do you create that incentive for people? Yeah, that's a really good question. One thing I wanted to to run by you as we start to try and wrap this up. So I read an article last weekend around the percentage of executives that trust data. And I can't remember who had written the article, but the number was basically saying it's less than 20%. Mm-hmm. So I'd put something on LinkedIn about this, about, you know, why is this the, the case and, and so on and so forth. And someone commented saying it's not so much that they don't trust the data, it's probably more that they don't trust the people presenting the data. So I guess, <laughs> I guess moving into that, um, that kind of, you know, back to that people bit. And I guess that there's an element of people and literacy here, um, which obviously has been pretty much the, the predominant theme throughout the, throughout the episode. But I guess, what's your opinion of that? Do, do, do you find that in these types of situations, the executives might be looking at that thinking, well, our data accuracy needs work. So I'm not too sure about that. Or is it a case of that the person who's delivering that message hasn't done a good enough job to, you know, tell that story and present it in a way that makes them see sense, I guess? I think they're both factors. I probably chuck in that it's the perception of the data quality is also a problem. So it's not just there's I don't trust the data. It's the perception of the data quality I don't trust. And it's the people standing in front of me that I don't trust, which kind of all ties together into this little bit of a knotty problem, I guess. Mm. Um, there's, there's so much in that because in some cases we know that data quality is a problem, but in other cases it absolutely isn't. A lot of it comes down to the terms that we use and really the basic things because, you know, Frank over here can be talking about a widget and Helena over here can be talking about a widget, but they're actually not talking about the same widgets. So when you get a board talking about widgets and you've got Frank and Lena talking to them, nothing makes sense. And that's where, coming back to your point about getting those basics right, you need to get those basics right to be able to get the messages conveyed. And that's where the whole storytelling comes into it. But you need an element of understanding to get to the ability to tell those stories. Yeah, absolutely. Without all three of those parts of that particular, you know, um, example of that puzzle working there, it's a very dangerous place to be, I guess, because you could be looking at someone who you trust who's presenting you with a load of nonsense and, and obviously you make decisions off the back of that. It could be that the quality is not right, which is a, an issue entirely. And and it's funny because um, I've got the next episode of the podcast that comes out next week. Um, we talk about, you know, the single source of truth. Um, mm-hmm. And one of the messages from that was that often there's such a misconception of what execs think their business to be you know so they might say just as an example but might say something like um our perfect customer is this and actually when you strip it all back and show them the data it's not it's something completely different so for the last 20 years they've been kind of almost living this lie of what they think is right and 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 it's wrong um you know which is is really interesting and kind of fascinates me really um it does because in a lot of cases you know sometimes the data points things out to them they don't want to see And it's how you present that. And I guess that comes into the whole, we don't trust the people. And it's not that they don't trust the people. It's that what those people are presenting to them is alien to their view of the world. Mm -hmm. 
in their understanding. So, you you know, they feel like they're dancing on quicksand a little bit when they're facing it. Yep. So that's where, again, the engagement pieces have to come into play um, to be able to just help them understand it. I'm not trying to shift the sands for you, but I am trying to help us maybe look at the evolution of the business and think about it in a different way. I'm pretty sure I'm going to know the answer to this question, but how imperative is the the kind of buy-in from the big bosses, the, the really key stakeholders in all this and getting it right? Because I imagine there's probably so many instances where you can have that conversation and they're not willing to budge from what their what their perceived reality is, um, you know, and unless they're willing to kind of face their their problem or, you know, I guess, so, you know, for want of a better phrase, it's going to be really hard to, to kind of demonstrate change. I think you need a few key stakeholders at senior levels. Um, you know, often you don't need the whole board to start with. And, you know, you don't get the whole board. To start with. <laughs> you always get a, you get a balance. Um you know, but it, that's when it comes down to actually pick the low-hanging fruit, go with what works, you know, really start and demonstrate that difference. Because when you talk to organisations about what other organisations are doing, that only goes so far because every organisation feels unique, they feel special, and there's parts of them that will be. You know, otherwise they wouldn't be in business doing what they do. But when you actually make a tangible difference for them, that's when they start to look up and take notice. Really interesting, very wise words. Um, so before we finish then, Caroline, what's what's the plans for for the business? Um, give you a little plug here. You can uh, f- fire away, but what what's the what does the future what does the future hold for um, Carruthers Injection? Well, we are growing at a, a ridiculous rate at the moment, which is fantastic, and it feels almost embarrassing to say that in twenty twenty when everybody there's some mm. real struggles going on. So take that with a little pinch of salt, I guess, but. I think we found this year that people have suddenly realised that everything that the whole data community have been talking about is incredibly important. So big organisations are now swivelling around going, data is really important. And we're getting involved in that, which is fantastic. And I also would have to do a little plug. The second edition of the Chief Data Officer Playbook is coming out in December, which we are so excited about. Um, data has moved so fast in the last three years that we've actually had to rewrite the book. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because obviously we want to make sure that it's relevant and it still reflects mm-hmm. the journey that we think chief data officers are on and, and need to go on. And uh, just continue with that. Uh, nice. Summer school comes out again next year and it's all fun nice. games. I love it. Good. What can we expect from the second edition? I know you don't want to reveal too much because people won't go out and buy it, but um, <laughs> what, what, are they, what, what are the kind of key key movements? Well, what we've done is Peter and I have talked a little bit about the journeys that we've been on. And obviously, the, you know, my move into the, running the consultancy, Peter staying in big industry. Um, but I think some of the chapters that we focused on very much, we've talked about today. So the people elements, the change elements, ethics is something that we talk about in a much more detail within the second edition because it's become much more um, prevalent into the language that we're using. And, you know, it, Considering what data can do, I think ethics is something that we all should have as a bit of a watchword on our shoulder. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so finally, then, if people want to reach out to you, um, you know, f- for advice, they're interested in, in working with the business, how, how is the best way for them to reach you? Uh, well, we have a very complicated website called carruthersandjackson.com. <laughs> so <laughs> all our contact details are in there just to make it simple for everybody. And if you want to reach out to me personally, LinkedIn is probably the easiest way to do it. Perfect. All right, Caroline, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on and uh, we look forward to speaking to you again soon. 
Brilliant. Thanks All right, so much. Excellent. Take care, everybody. Bye. Bye. That's it for this episode of Driven by Data, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back next week speaking with another thought leader from the world of data and analytics. Until then, please follow our Bishon Group on social media if you've not already done so, where you'll be able to subscribe and therefore be made aware of the podcasts as they arrive. And please share, like, and leave reviews so that more people from our industry get to hear and benefit from these two. If you've got any questions or you want to suggest ideas for topics or potential guests, then please feel free to reach out to me. Thanks for listening and I'll be back 